Paul say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing? And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. Estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Lord, thank you that it is faith alone that saves. Thank you that it is faith alone that brings freedom. God, help us to understand this morning what it means to be free in Christ. And how to avoid being entangled again in yokes of bondage. Lord, I pray today that we would understand what Christian freedom is all about. And as your children, we would live as mature, full-fledged sons. That we would live as children of the free. That we would live by the promises of God that we would live by the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit, that we would walk by faith and not by sight. God, grant this for your people. Grant this for this church, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'm going to just kind of walk you through um, just a couple of nuggets that, that are in the original language that, that may not be just evident um, in our translation, so just bear with me as I walk through this. Uh, the very first words in the original language is for freedom. So the emphasis of verse 1 is for freedom. It's a purpose. It's an advantage to you and I. That's the idea of this, this phrase. And it's got the direct article before it. Is, it is the freedom or this type of freedom that I have been talking about. That article, grammarians call this the anaphoric use of the direct article. That just means I'm bringing out this article to talk about freedom. And I want you to go back a whole chapter and look at what this freedom looks like. And this is the purpose that Christ has liberated us. It was for freedom. That's why Jesus died. He died for our sins in order that he might deliver us from this present evil age. That's how the book of Galatians starts out. And he's saying this is the purpose of Christ delivering us. It is for freedom. It was for the purpose of freedom that Christ made us free. And then in verse 2, it starts out with an imperative command. And it's really the command to look, behold, look at something. The next word is the Greek personal pronoun, ego, where we get the word ego from. And it's translated in your Bibles, I. It's ego, palus, lego. It's emphatic. I is in the nominative case. It's the subject. Paul is in the nominative case. It's the subject. Lego is first person 
present active indicative. That's the subject. Three times Paul say, I, I, I. I, Paul, I am saying to you again. Now this letter starts out, Paul addresses the Galatian believers. So let's pull this whole letter together this morning. He starts out by saying, all the brethren that are with me sends this letter to the church of Galatia. And then when you get to chapter 5, when he gets to the practical application of everything that he's been teaching, he says it's no longer just all the brethren who are talking. This is Paul. This is the one who led you to Christ. This is the apostle who discipled you. This is the one who brought you the gospel. And I am bringing you this warning. I, Paul, if and the if is in the subjunctive or the mood of not reality, but this is a hypothetical. Paul is addressing believers. He's not addressing unbelievers. And so understanding this is a hypothetical, it's not something that's actually happening, he says, if you be circumcised, if you take that step, and it's actually the middle voice in the original language, and the middle voice has the idea of you doing it to yourself. Circumcision happens in eight days, and you really don't have any choice in it. The father just does it, and the mother circumcised, and have the child circumcised. And it's a, but here is the idea that if you take this step and do this to yourself, the result, and it's in the mood of reality, this is true. If you should do this, this will indeed be the effect. Christ will profit you absolutely nothing. That's a powerful statement. It's a solemn warning. And Paul says, I, Paul, I am saying this to you. If you take this step, you see the Judaizers had come to the area of Galatia. They had told them that Christ is not enough. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. You've got to observe special holidays. You've got to observe the Sabbath, new moons, festivals, annual uh, celebrations of the Jews. He says, Christ is not enough alone. You've got to add to what Christ has done. And Paul is now warning them, if you listen to these Judaizers, if you listen to these legalists, Christ has been negated. You see, the false teachers had been telling them, this will make you look pious. This will make you look more religious. This will make you look more serious about your faith. It's all external. And Paul says, Christ is all about the transformation of the heart. And if you start focusing on the externals, and you start focusing on rules and rituals and rites and legal observance of God's commandments, then you have just negated everything that Christ has done for you. So in, his, in verse 3, it starts out with, Now I testify. It's the Greek verb, Martyriao, where we get the word to martyr. It is a solemn, solemn testimony. It's like somebody who's under oath and they are giving their testimony and they are charging and they are exhorting, solemnly warning. I am testifying to you, Paul says. I'm testifying to you again. If you take this step, then you are a debtor to keep the whole law. Now he says, I'm doing this again. Paul didn't do that when he went to the Galatian ministry. He didn't do that when he went to Antioch, Lystra, Derby, and, and, and Iconium. He, he didn't have to tell them that if you turn back to the law, 
Then you're a debtor to keep all of it. So when he says again, he's referring back to his letter. You see, the Judaizers never told him this. And that's the way false teachers do. They give you a little bit of truth, but they don't tell you the consequences of those things. In fact, they don't give you truth. They give you a little bit of a lie in the midst of a bunch of truth, but they don't tell you really where they're going to take you and where you're going to end up. And you're going to end up enslaved and you're going to end up in bondage. That's the way false teachers work. And Paul said, they've never told you this, but I'm telling you again, I told you first in Galatians 3.10, for those who are under the law, they are obligated to keep all of it. They didn't tell them that. They slipped that one under, uh, under the rug, so to speak. That was the fine print that the Galatians failed to read. And Paul said, I'm solemnly telling you, I want to open your eyes up. I'm not giving you to in the small print. I'm giving it to you in big print so that you can make a right choice and I am not going to go back under legalism. In fact, Paul says in chapter 4, he says, how is it that you, not even knowing God or being known by God, that you turn back again to weak and beggarly stoichia, elements the basic ABCs that have no power to deliver you. When you were a pagan, when you were a Gentile, and you worshiped the lunar orbits, you worshiped the stars, and you worshiped the moon, you were just like Jewish people who observed the law in order to produce righteousness. Righteousness has never been by what we do. Righteousness has always been based on the promises of God. Abraham had the gospel preached to him in Genesis 3, 15, uh, verse 7, when he went out and looked at the stars, didn't he? He believed God, and because of his faith, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That's what you and I have this morning, and don't let anybody hoodwink you. Okay, so then he goes to verse 4, and he says, You have been... Cut our ghetto. It means to nullify the effects of. It's used over in Romans chapter 6. That same verb says that when you and I are in Christ, the old man has been destroyed. That's a, that's a powerful word. And it's the same word here, but when you have a preposition from, it means that you have a strain. You cut yourself off. And as a grammarian, excuse a fancy term, it just means something that hasn't actually happened yet. But it's translated as a past tense because Paul is looking at it. If you do all this, in essence, you have cut yourself off from Christ. Whoever it is that's being justified by grace, you have fallen from grace. Now we're going to talk about what it means to fall from grace. Falling from grace does not mean losing your salvation. That's not the context, is it? You don't lose your salvation. I'm reading through the Gospel of John in my morning devotions. And John tells us very clearly that nothing can pluck us from the Father's hand. Absolutely nothing. You are saved by grace, and you are not kept by your performance. You are not kept by your merit. You are saved by grace, and you finish the race by grace. From faith to faith, Paul says in Romans 1.17. So you, you, you don't fall from grace or lose your salvation, but you fall away from what it means to have the grace of God in your life. You're, in essence, he says, you are doing the Christian life all on your own. You want to you merit it? 
You want to work it out? Okay, fine. I'll try to do the rest of your Christian life all on your own. No, thank you. I, I look around and, and, and I see how many broken hearts we have this morning. I, I don't want to do it on my own. I want it to be by God's grace. I don't want to fall away from grace. Then verse 6 really is the hinge of this whole thing. This is what it's all about this morning. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Has no bearing whatsoever. But what is it? It is faith through the Spirit that's being energized by love. That is the bottom line. And that's what Christian liberty, that's what Christian freedom is all about. We've perverted Christian liberty in America because we like to do what we want to do. And we call it Christian liberty. Christian freedom isn't the freedom to lay in bed on Sunday morning and say, you know what, I don't have to go to church because I'm free in Christ. That is not Christian liberty. Christian liberty isn't to say, you know what, if I want to imbibe in drugs or whatever, I'm free in Christ and I'm going to go to heaven anyway. That's not Christian liberty. That's called license to sin. We have perverted it because we are so self-centered in America. When Paul says, stand fast in your liberty, he's not thinking about all the things that I want to do that I'm free under Christ. If I want to listen to rock and roll, if I want to listen to slanderous stuff, if I want to watch perversion on TV, I am free in Christ. That's the last thing on Paul's mind when he says, stand fast in your freedom. What Paul is talking about in this context is that we are no longer under a tutor. I don't have to have somebody telling me to get out of bed on Sunday morning. I don't have to have someone telling me to turn off the television. I don't have to have someone telling me to listen to a different song on the radio. I now have the freedom in Christ because I don't need the tutor. I've come to faith in Jesus. I'm no longer under a guardian. I'm no longer under a steward. I'm not under somebody who's going to manage every little material thing that I've got. I am free in Christ because the fullness of time has come. Galatians 3, Galatians 4, 4. God sent forth his son and he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. The time has come. Paul is using a Roman law. A adolescent boy was under a tutor. He was under stewards. He had none of the inheritance because he couldn't use it. But the father had a day picked when his son was going to come to maturity. He says, okay, now you're old enough to have everything because I trust you with it. Praise God. That's freedom in Christ. God looks at you when you come to know Jesus. He sends the spirit of his son into your heart, and now you are a full-age son. He says, I'm going to give you everything because you are free to use it, and I can trust you with it, that you're not going to abuse your inheritance just like the prodigal took his inheritance and splurged it because he was really not a son in the spiritual sense to his father. So this is where Paul is going in this passage. So, now let me give you my introduction. We're going to have to hurry because it's 12.09. Christian liberty, it has nothing to do with the question of the things that I like to do or the freedom that I have. 
those decisions, they, they may be a byproduct of it. I'm, I'm not saying that those things won't be affected by your liberty in Christ. They will, but that's not the, the essence of it. The essence of Christian liberty is how we perceive and live the Christian life because that's what we were set free for, for freedom. I'm going to skip through a lot of my introduction. I want to get right down to an important section of it here. And his name was Richard Wormbrand. He was imprisoned in Romania under one of the harshest communist regimes in Eastern Europe. He was brutally tortured for 14 years. And he talked about his Christian liberty, his Christian freedom. And to him, Christian freedom had nothing to do with the things that he could do for himself, but Christian liberty and freedom was all what he could do for others because Christ had set him free. Even though he was the prisoner of the Communist Party, he said in his heart, I am free. Even though they beat him, they tortured him, beat his feet to where he couldn't walk, ice picks through his neck. You can still see the scars and the pictures of that man. And he says, Christ has set me free from hatred. God has set me free from revenge. God has set me free from self-pity. I am free in Christ to love. And he prayed for his persecutors. He prayed for his torturers. And they would beat him every time that they came into his cell and caught him praying. And one time a Russian guard came in there and began to shake him. And he says, why do you pray to this God who cannot hear? And Richard looked him in the eye. He says, because I'm praying for your salvation. Later on, that same guard came to know Jesus Christ and was in the same prison along with Richard. That's the power of Christian liberty. It's not who you are. It's not where you're at. None of that stuff matters. It is faith working through love. That's what matters. And so Paul here is talking about what real Christian liberty is. And he says, don't ever go back to bondage. Don't ever go back to bondage. Demanding part of the law enslaves us to all of it. And the blessedness that they had at that one time. You see, Christian liberty brings an incredible relationship with other people. So I, I want us just to look at chapter 4 and verses 12 through 15. When this, this incredible liberty that they had. Brethren, Paul says, I urge you to become like me. I was under Christian liberty. I was under Christian freedom. I threw the law, Paul said earlier in this epistle. I threw the law, died to the law, so that I might live unto God. He rebukes Peter earlier in this same letter for sitting down with the Gentiles and having a meal. And then when the Jews came, he gets up and he gets out of the room because he doesn't want people to think negative of him. And even good old Barnabas got carried up in that hypocrisy. And so Paul says, I became like you. I became like a Gentile. 
And because of this Christian freedom, because of this liberty, there was transparency, there was genuineness in this relationship, there was equal sharing. He says, you guys love me so much. You looked at my trial, which was in my flesh, and you didn't despise me. And he says, if possible, you would have plucked your eyes out and given them to me. That's kind of a paraphrase. But then when you get down to verse 15, he says, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I've told you the truth? All of that freedom that they had was now lost. And they were entangled with a yoke of bondage. Now the word yoke means a rabbi's teaching. It's used three other times in the New Testament. And every time it's used about a teaching of a rabbi. It's used in Jesus warning about the yoke of the Pharisees. It's used in Acts chapter 15 and verse 10 where Peter stands up at the Jerusalem council and he says, why are you tempting God and putting on the disciples a yoke, a teaching that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? The only time that it's not used as a rabbi's teaching is in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. And Paul says, as many bond servants who are under the yoke. So the idea of a yoke and a rabbi's teaching and connected that with a slave, the idea means a burden that's intolerable, that you have to be pressed into service to do. And he says, don't be entangled in this yoke, this new teaching that's going to be added to you. Now you think about how that contrasts the yoke that Jesus is calling you and I to. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, here's the invitation of Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. What are we supposed to do? Take my yoke upon you. Be my student. Let me be your rabbi. Take my yoke and learn from me for my yoke is easy. My burden is light and you will have rest unto your souls. Christ fulfilled all the law. Therefore, his yoke is light. Christ will now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, enable you to live a righteous life. Therefore, his yoke is light. Because when you're in that yoke with Christ, it's not just you doing it. It is Christ doing it in you and through you. Don't be entangled again. I'm just going to get down to the conclusion because we have the Lord's Supper this morning and the conclusion is this the superiority of faith alone over our trying to merit and work things out what does faith and its Christian freedom do it produces maturity where the law can never produce maturity the law can only demand performance. 
faith in the promise and the power of God has the ability to change you and to write the law on your heart. So stand fast in your liberty. Understand what Christ has done for you, that you are no longer under a tutor, you're no longer under guardians, you're no under stewardship. Second, because of faith, you are now provided with the Holy Spirit who will guide you and help you make decisions. Stand fast in your liberty. I, I can't give you a set of rules this morning that's going to help you in every set of circumstances. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Legalism can't do that. Legalism has black and white. This is how you act in this situation. This is what you do. You don't do this. You do this and when, when this happens. The Spirit of God is so different from that. Because in one set of circumstances, you might react this way. But under the Spirit of God, you may react a completely different way in a different setting. Let me give you an example. When Paul saw Timothy, he was walking under the freedom of Christ. And he said, Timothy, you are a Jew. Your mother's a Jew. Timothy, I want to take you into synagogues. I want you to be my right-hand man. And if I'm going to pass my ministry off to you, Timothy, I know you don't have to be circumcised. Paul knew that, right? Circumcision avails nothing, right? Paul knows that. But he went and he had Timothy circumcised. That's the freedom of Christ. Now, 14 years later, he goes up to Jerusalem and he takes Titus with him. Galatians chapter 2. You can look at it after church. Galatians chapter 2. He takes Titus up with him and he says, Titus, we will not have you circumcised because I don't want to mask the truth. Totally opposite decision. Why? Because Paul was operating under the freedom of Christ where he can make a decision in those circumstances and the law can't teach you how to do that. The Spirit of Christ will. Number three, faith produces love. Obedience, however, to the law is merely a duty. Faith sets us free from a yoke that sets us up at best for failure. You put yourself under a set of rules that you have to live by, and you're setting yourself up for failure. Or if you succeed, the worst thing is it sets you up for pride and a judgmental spirit for somebody who's not living up to your set of rules. So faith is so far superior. And the last thing, faith, and Paul talks about it in this verse, faith alone gives us an expected hope that's based on promise. But we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. This morning, what a promise that is. You want to have the hope that you're going to stand before God, and God's going to look at you, and He's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That is our hope, right? That's not based on the law. 
because you will never be able to fulfill the law. That hope, the assurance that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. Remember those old Baptist preachers say, do you know that you know that you know that you know? (laughs) Well, we don't have to say all that. All we have to say is my hope is based on the completed work of Jesus Christ. How do you know that you have heaven as your home when you die? Because Jesus said this in John chapter 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, how can we know? And Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John chapter 5, I write these things unto you that you may know you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. The law can't give you that confident, expectant hope. Faith alone can because it's all about Jesus and nothing about us. Let's close with prayer. Father, God, I pray that we will be a church that walks and experiences true Christian liberty, true Christian freedom that guides us because we are mature believers who have the promises of God, who have the Holy Spirit of God, not dictating us by mandate, but guiding us by love. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.